It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. And now a very special episode of Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome welcome to this episode, guys. Uh, Usually we we talk about movies you should love. We talk about uh, classic and contemporary films that people love and have uh, put on the AFI Top 100 as well as other movies that... uh, people really seem to respond to but uh tonight we thought we would take a special episode and talk about uh video game movies um specifically actually the way we kind of want to get into this is um we just both finished playing a fairly new game called mass effect 3 um and there's some controversy online about it and uh we thought we'd kind of talk about it a little bit and kind of roll into some other video game and art and film themed discussions um lauren you want to kick us off yeah um all right well let's uh, just to briefly talk about mass effect 3 let's put it into context before we get into it here um the game is the third game in the mass effect series um hence the three in the title um it's been a very remarkable series because it's um, carried over a single character's storyline over the course of three games. And it's been a seamless experience for players who have started with the first game and moved into the third one. Because the choices that you make in the first game, you can import your final save game from that first game into the second game. And everything you did in the first game carries over to the second game. Um, And then when you're done with the second one, you can save that and import it into the third game, and everything you did in that carries over. And, like, I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot until you realize the stuff that carries over is literally everything from, like, major characters who may or may not have died in your particular game, because that's the kind of choice, down to, like, um, little tiny... um, character interactions with like super minor characters who had right. two lines it's right. it's a crazy amount of yeah, data that is being it's, tracked it's, it's an act it's a sci-fi action rpg who really that really focuses and emphasizes your decisions your free will the things that you, like and like you said there are characters that you had one little interaction with in the first game and they become a major player in the third game mm-hmm. um your and, choices and can actually the, yeah, yeah your choices can decide the fate of certain people and they may or may not be in later games, which yeah. is a really interesting thing that happens, and which is fun to do for players. You get to talk after you've played and go, did you save Rex? I didn't get to save Rex. What happened? And mm-hmm. you get to find out how the story changes due to that character not being in that story anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it can it can go from literally, like, uh, in the second by the end of the second game it's like what half the cast can basically be dead by the end of yeah, it if you like play that. it badly or not badly but if you if you choose certain directions to go right. I don't think there's a specific bad because it is just a different right. um, different way of getting yeah, there the second game is based around like basically you're putting together a team for this suicide mission and mm-hmm. so the whole game is based on like you creating this team and the whole team acknowledging the fact that some of them aren't going to come home and if you play it right you can save everybody mm-hmm. but if you make certain decisions um, certain characters will die and they could be major characters mm-hmm. yeah uh, it, it might be your everyone. main character yeah yeah so it's um, it's pretty incredible the amount of, of customization that can go on with this um, and what it means into the readiness of the final game Another cool thing that kind of goes on is that in this, along with the customization, is you get to choose whether your main character is going to be male or female, and then beyond that, you get to completely uh, customize the way that character looks. 
and so it's a very personal game and so you can you can become very attached to your particular hero your your shepherd because whether it's a guy or a girl their last name is going to be shepherd that's mm-hmm. what everybody calls them um and so like it becomes a very intimate personal game that is completely different than everybody else's mm-hmm. And who's th- also playing Mass Effect because it's like this is my shepherd though, and I see what your shepherd's doing, and my shepherd would never do that. <laughs> yeah, and and it's the kind of game that like you know if you do take a character all the way through from the very first game all the way to the end of the last one, uh, between all of that, it's probably somewhere between like a hundred and hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy five hours that you have played with this single character and gotten invested with, you, with... I think it's 100 hours if you kind of play it pretty streamlined. Like, yeah. and to the specific stuff. Yeah, and you know, I would bet there are people who could easily have racked up a couple of hundred hours just Absolutely. on one character, let alone Absolutely. a second playthrough with a second character yeah. or fifth character or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, this is a pretty pretty massive game. I mean, it's... A massive game with a really phenomenal cast. I mean, it, there's really no on-screen dialogue unless it's somebody speaking a different language or you're choosing your reaction if these are real actors you recognize voices you recognize faces mm-hmm. yeah you know, yes. Seth green is in this martin, uh, sheen. martin sheen uh yvonne stravinsky, stravinsky yeah chuck <laughs> <laughs> uh trisha helfer from Battlestar galactica is her voice is in this mm-hmm. um and you recognize people and you're like who is that i know who that is and it's a lot of fun um but that yeah, being Colonel said ty from Battlestar galactica yeah, and yeah and so it's really they le- they give the game and the characters a lot of credence because mm-hmm. it makes it feel even more important because real actors are actually performing this. Right. So for those of you who know the game, uh, what we just said just wasted ten minutes of your life. Uh, and if you don't know the game, we probably haven't explained nearly enough about it to understand why people are really super vested in it. But take us take our word for it if you've played it. Yeah. You're really into it at this point. I mean, uh, and and the sales of the game reflect that. I mean, it yeah. it had, uh, you know, like it a million a million orders and yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a huge huge sort of thing. So that said, there is major controversy about it right now, mm-hmm. um, largely because of of two issues that have gone on. One of which has kind of subsided because of the second <laughs> controversy that <laughs> that came up. Um, the first controversy is that um, on the very day that the game became available, um, there was what's called DLC or downloadable content available for the game. And if you had bought the collector's edition, it came free with the collector's edition as part of your bonus for it. Mm-hmm. And if you bought the standard edition, it cost $10 extra to buy this thing, which was still cheaper than what the collector's edition cost. But sure. yeah. Um, and this character or, or this downloadable content is an extra character for the game, basically that you can add in. Mm-hmm. And the controversy is twofold in that it was available at the same time that the game became available and that yeah. the character that became available at this point is not necessarily a major character in the world but a major piece of lore that yeah. that ties into the game it's he, yeah he's not necessarily somebody who changes the way the game plays out but he fleshes out the history like he provides a very specific voice to things that we've kind of seen hints of mm-hmm. and then he shows up and goes no this is real and this is what I experienced, and mm-hmm. it 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 does affect the game in a really big way, especially the ending when you 
when you talked to him that last time, um, I felt like there was a lot going on there. And people are upset by this because it felt like uh, Bioware made a great game. They're going to charge you $60 for it. And then, oh, by the way, for another $10 on the same day, you can also add this to your game. And some people are like, well, this has already been completed. Why is this? It felt like a, like a price gouge. Just like, hey, give us this. And Lauren, you actually explained this to me, and I think you should yeah. explain it to the listeners. Well, I mean, just just basically. I mean, you have to look at the way a game is developed. Um, it's like any other concept that is developed. Um, it's... Uh, especially for something like this, which is the third game in a series. Um, you know, they started out, what, five years ago? Five seven. Years ago. Well, I mean, it was released five years ago. It was re- the first one was released five years ago. So their development time backed that up a couple of years before that. So seven to eight years ago, mm-hmm. their design team started getting together and fleshing out the first game in the series. And I guarantee while they were developing the first game in the series, they were talking about what was going to happen in the second and the third. Yeah. They might not have had their complete design documents done during that point. But they would have been mm-hmm. knowing, like, hey, we have a second game to do if, if the first one sells, and you know we're going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as you get into this process, you get to the third game in the series, and um, and a character like this that they are going to add, um, they are going to have plans for it up front. It would be like in making a movie. Um, you know that you have your script, but you're also going to have to make, um, you know, trailers for it, or you might be doing a web series or something to go along with it at some point. Um, you know, you're not necessarily going to make it at the same time or whatever, but it's still something that you have to have planned and be part of your production process. So they're, they know ahead of time that they're going to do this. It's not just a part that they went, oh, and now we can do this little thing later. It's something that they're going to know up front that is going to happen. So my if, question is, then, why isn't it already in the game? Right. If, if they know it from the beginning. Right. But at the same time, their priority is to ship the game, not this extra piece of content. Um, those two things are not the same thing. They, I mean, you have, I guarantee, I, I, I guarantee at the, at the very start of the game, they know the next 12 pieces of downloadable content that they are going to release. They know, oh, hey, okay, so we're going to do this first, this character, um, and he's going to be our first one that we do. Then for the next one, we're going to do extra weapons or whatever it's going mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. I, I need to say that I don't know what these are, so I'm making this stuff up. Right. Um, you know, the third one is going to be this new mission on Pluto that yeah. happens, and the fourth one is going to rewrite the ending or whatever. Right. right. Um, you know, and they, and they know this 12 pieces of content down the line, and they know what their next year and a half of content rollout is going to be. They have to know that ahead of time to be able to plan for it, to budget it for it, uh, and to get the teams together and stuff. Right. Um, but it's not going to be their primary focus. Their primary focus is to finish the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, they could save all of these 12 things and do it in an expansion pack a year later, or they can do them one at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know, and give them to you as downloadable content. Um, so anyhow, they make the game, and then uh, they wrap it up, and then it has to go out to publishing. So they burn their their master and send it out for publishing. But then it has to go through many levels. It has to get you know uh, all of the discs printed and packaging designed and sent out to distribution and shipped out to distribution centers. And then the distribution centers have to ship it out to retailers. And this whole process can take two to three months to get all of this together. So from the completion of the game, when they have stopped 
working on the main code of the game, there's still three months to release of the actual game. Right. Um, and so they can either just stop and be like, we're done, or they can keep working. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a plan in place to keep working. And with a new piece that doesn't have to go out and have all of that physical distribution, and they basically already have everything planned for it from the start, they mm-hmm. just need to start rolling into the production of it, they can now do that, and it takes two to three months to make the first piece, and it rolls out. So it just, it just so happens basically to be completed around yeah. the same time as the physical yeah. is being released. And, you know, and... And they knew early enough that they could do it in that sort of time frame that they promised it to the people who bought the collector's edition. Right. So, I mean, they knew this was going to happen. Um, Personally, this con- this quote-unquote controversy did not affect me. I was actually excited. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, I already have a DLC? Awesome. Add it. Yeah. Give it to me now. I'm like, uh, basically, that was my thought. More content for the game. Happiness. I will say... If, if it came out two months later... I would have bought it two months later, so I'm yeah. just happy that it's here today rather than two months from now. The only the only time I do have an issue with uh, DLC is when it's not DLC. Um, I don't know if you have this problem with PC games, but on Xbox games, you can buy codes that will that you put into your as uh, Microsoft points or whatever. You put in this code, and then you're supposed supposedly downloading extra content. Like uh, Batman: Arkham City had some where it unlocked some Catwoman missions and mm-hmm. new costumes for Batman. When I put the codes in, nothing downloaded. It just unlocked stuff, mm-hmm. and that to me, and I understand why they do it, but that to me, that to me is a little frustrating because now they, there's content that is on the disc. Mm-hmm. It's there. It was you know it was there when they released it, whenever, and they're still selling me more parts to this game. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're still going. Oh, and here's another ten dollars we can make if you want to play mm-hmm. these three chapters of this story. Mm-hmm. I understand it. They, they need to make money, too. And that's a good way for them to make money even off of the second-hand retail market. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that, that, is a little, that is a little frustrating. We just yeah. kind of go, oh, it was yeah. there. If I, if I was smarter, I bet I could, un- I could have unlocked it without spending $10. Yeah. And uh, just so our film listeners are aware, <laughs> we are getting somewhere that's going to connect a film with all of this. Um, trust us on that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and just just to say one more thing on this, the one thing that people are still a little ticked about now is that at least on the computer version mm-hmm. of the game, I'm guessing you can't do this very easily on the Xbox or PlayStation because you know. can't hack files as easily on them. Mm-hmm. But on the computer version, you can get in and modify some some of the files and technically unlock the character. Just from the original thing. But it doesn't have any of his missions. It doesn't have any of his um, party banter or any of that kind of thing. It's just you. they have the character... Design there. Design. So he can be on... And your, like his powers on- and stuff are available as part of it. So people are saying, oh no, he was ready and they just decided. And I, I don't... I don't think that's really indicative of I don't get to hear him talk. I mean, there, there may be a few sound files, but it's not his complete... You know, yeah. There's still like 600 megabytes that download to to finish him out when you download it. So, anyhow. Uh, so, that there was that kerfuffle mm-hmm. a week ago or two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and then the bigger one that kind of has taken place is people have started beating the game. Um, this probably started, you know, a day or two after the game came out. People started playing it. And, they and as more and more people are beating it. Sick, and they started yeah. beating this game. Um, and people are not happy with the ending. In exactly. In a lot of different ways. 
Um, and, and just so you know, we're heading straight into spoiler territory on here. So if you plan on playing this game... And you don't want to be spoiled. This is... We hate to tell you to stop listening, but listening. maybe jump, jump ahead uh, 10 or 15 minutes into the podcast, and we'll we'll try to be past it by then. And if one of us is crying, you haven't gone far enough. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the ending. Um, basically... Scott, you, you you literally just finished the game like two hours ago. Yes, I did. I finished it a day and a half ago. You've had more time like to process it. I still have a lot of emotions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's the, a good place to begin this. Um, I was, I've told you this. I told Kelly this. Um, I've played a lot of games in my time. I think the, I've probably been playing games, well, not for 30 years. I'm only 31. But... Um, I know I got my first Nintendo when I was six, so I've at least been seriously playing video games for that long, mm-hmm. and I've been beating games for more or less that long. You know, I beat the first Mario game within a year or so of owning it. Um, I have I have played a lot of games, and I, I there's very few games that I have been emotionally invested in, um, and that's I've been like I, like I think you said it or. We 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 have played thousands of games, mm-hmm. beaten probably most of them, and you go on these kind of these journeys with these characters, but very few of these games actually kind of get you invested in such a way that when you walk away from the game, you carry it with you. You know that's something I'm used to doing with television shows, especially mm-hmm. you know specific television shows or certain you know really good movies. I'll walk away out of the theater mm-hmm. going, "This has changed my life." I'm yeah. actually I'm thinking about it a couple of days later, going, "Man." What would I do? And Mass Effect Three specifically um, did that for me. Yeah, like I was turning the game off and I was driving to work, thinking about the choices I had just made, and I was feeling proud and like weird, a weird sense of honor and nobility. Like I, I just saved a race of people. I think we did some good here. I know I might have pissed some people off, but we did some good work here. High fives for everybody. I'm in the car, high fiving nobody. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know to me. Most games that I have played, and and like you said, I mean, I guarantee hundreds, possibly a thousand games in in my life that I have played. Um, you know, most of them I have played as well. Most of them I have played, and this one I have experienced is maybe yeah. the way I can most explain games it the best. Really, are pure escapism. Yeah, you know, whatever it is, it's an RPG, it's a first person shooter. For the most part, you sit down. To be entertained for mm-hmm. a couple of it's, hours. It's about blasting bad guys or you know fighting monsters cool or whatever. music, cool cinematics, cool yeah. stunts. You're doing cool stunts or cool moves. Uh, you know, comedy happens. Whatever it is, you know, or you pull off a, a great jump and you you know great or you're combo, doing whatever. yeah a great combo or you're you know yeah. doing the doing Mario and you beat a level and there's a sense <laughs> of accomplishment. Very little of it has to do with storytelling and yeah. with emotion. And with, at the end of the day, um, maybe bordering on that edge of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mass Effect games, I, I think for both Scott and I, have risen to the... Uh, kind of as a whole, they have risen as a trilogy to the top of our gaming list. Yes. I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable saying these are my favorite games of all time. And that's not something I say very lightly, because... I, I think these have just replaced Chrono Trigger for any of any of you who remember uh, the Chrono Trigger days of the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've played the mess out of all of the Halo games. I I played I've played a lot of games and I've really enjoyed them. But this game has 
inspired creativity and imagination and mm-hmm. has made me question decisions I have made and has challenged me to be a better person in my day-to-day life in mm-hmm. ways that sound probably ludicrous to anybody who doesn't play video games. Yeah. But and they have affected me in a big way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, for me, you know, I would have said stuff like uh, Grim Fandango mm. or um, I mean, Chrono Trigger is, is fantastic. Um, you know, the, the first not the first Metal Gear Solid, but the the, the original PlayStation Metal Gear Solid. Right. Um, um, I mean, there's there's some amazing games I bring that up, I would have put it towards the top of my list, and this one trumps, you know, King's Earth, Quest and, and King's Monkey Quest, Island. The early and, Zelda games up through yeah. Ocarina of Time. And mm-hmm. what's interesting, I, specifically about Chrono Trigger, that was the first game that, to me, represented or showed me a game that with I could, storytelling? With storytelling that I could affect the ending. That game had like 17 endings. And I think I've seen them all. I mean, I played the mess out of that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was... As much as I liked that game, it wasn't a game that I took with me. As mm-hmm. it, it's not a game that after I turned it off, I was like, wow, I wonder what it would be like in that situation. Or I wonder if... Th- th- that's a, is that at all applicable? Those... Those thoughts did not occur to me, and so for this game, you go through you go through these three stories, you go through this trilogy, um, you become very emotionally invested. You become you 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 have these characters you interact with that you begin to like or dislike mm-hmm. on the level that you like and dislike real people in real life that you have to interact with. Yeah, like, there's certain it's... people in this game that remind me of they don't remind me specifically of coworkers. Like not of like a specific coworker that I have, but they remind me of what it's like to have coworkers that you just have to work with. That they're not your favorite person, but hey, they're not bad. They get the job done. And then there's other people that you look forward to every single interaction. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's there's kind of this certain level to the game where it, um, where these supporting characters, um, almost you start identifying so much with with your shepherd character mm-hmm. that the supporting characters uh, especially the ones that you've been with for several games at least in my experience mm-hmm. um truly feel like they've become my friends as opposed to characters in the game it's okay you can say Garrus. We know who you're talking well, about. Well, Garrus. I, I mean, Garrus specifically. <laughs> he's but, like I mean, the best friend ever. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's amazing. And, and you know, the interactions I have with him in the game, especially by the third game, mm-hmm. um, they are deep conversations that I'm having with someone who is truly... Uh, I mean, you know, it's a very limited scope that our relationship has had. I mean, it's tied into this war <laughs> war that's a fictional war inside this fictional universe. Yeah. But, you know, he and I have had some pretty deep conversations by the time we get to the end of this. And and it really, truly feels like he and I have developed a friendship mm-hmm. by the end of it. It's, I mean, I know that sounds crazy. It but, does sound crazy, but it's absolutely accurate. There's, there came a point not that long ago, I started to miss him. Yeah, I kind of went, I should play that again, you know. And th- there's certain times like I, I started because you can choose who you go with on missions. Like you always get to have, pick two people to go with you. I started choosing characters to go with me depending on where I was going, not based on any kind of strategy, but based on whether or not I thought they sh- they would want to be there. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, we're going there. Garrett shouldn't see that. <laughs> or <laughs> he if, could stay on the ship. <laughs> or if I knew that I was going someplace and I knew I wanted him at my side, exactly. as opposed but, to. But, and I, I use Garrett as an example, but he went mm-hmm. everywhere with me. But yeah. there was definitely times I was like, Mm-mm, 
that person's not coming with me or that person needs to be there. I'm interacting with robots and she's going to have a very valuable point to make. Because what's interesting about this game, that point might not be made if that character's not with you. Mm-hmm. It's not like just completely interchangeable dialogue. Some of it is. Sometimes you play and you go, oh, that person said that mm-hmm. line instead of that yeah. person. But there are certain very specific interactions that will or won't take place depending on who you have with you. And it can affect... Sometimes it's no effect. Sometimes it's huge, the thing. Sometimes it's a mass effect. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's, yes. That's, we met our quota. That's one. Yes. One more. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the ending of the game. It's, so, yeah, I, so we say all of this to get to the ending because I think this is where a lot of the frustration for some people is coming from. They've invested at least 100 hours with these people, with this story. And again, spoiler alert... Um, you get to the end, and um, do you want to go through the ending? Kind of what happens, or yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, we're already spoiling it for people, yeah. so um, you know, I think the people who are actually interested in this are are not gonna Care. worry or jump ahead again ten minutes from from here. You're not there yet. Keep fast forwarding. You're not there yet. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, weren't you supposed to be crying or something, Scott, so that people would... Anyhow. <laughs> um, no, okay, so the ending. You basically get back to Earth, which has been overrun by uh, this, the, Reapers. the Reapers, which is this horrible, uh, destructive artificial intelligence that returns to the galaxy every 50,000 years and destroys all advanced... Uh, life forms basically will happen again yes um it's yeah it's 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 definitely a certain element of Battlestar galactica (laughs) in it um but um you get to the end and you have fought through earth and which is one of the most moving experiences i have ever had you fought through the city of london Mm -hmm. and i like that it was london Yes, and um, they set it up in such a way that you do some really heroic stuff, um, and you get some incredible final interactions yeah, with those were very cool with all of these people that you have grown to love. You get a moment to basically say goodbye to each member of your squad, mm-hmm. um, and you get to have these final moments that you can kind of and you can you kind of get to decide how you want to end it uh, mm-hmm. with certain people and. It's cool. The people who aren't there, you actually have a moment where you get to call them wherever they're at in space mm-hmm. or on Earth and kind of go, hey, um, this is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, anyways, and then you go off on the final mission, which turns into... Uh, if you thought the second mission, or the, the final mission the second game was a suicide mission, this is truly a suicide yeah. mission. Um, and you get to the end and literally... Everyone except you and your two teammates has been wiped out, and you're running towards your final objective. And, and literally, that's all you're doing. Like the game, basically everything breaks down and falls apart, and this huge monstrosity is firing at you, and you're just running straight at it because you have to get past it and into this conduit that's going to take you somewhere. Um, and you're just running, and everybody around you is just getting blown away, and things are exploding, and your your character is like stumbling around mm-hmm. while these explosions are going off, and you're going as hard as you can, and then you get hit by this beam. And, and, <laughs> and you wake up bloody and... Burnt. Your burnt armor is gone. Is disintegrated. You're, you're dying, basically. Yeah. And you stumble towards... The, the portal. The light. <laughs> the light. And you barely make it. A couple of other 
reapers try to kill you on the way to and it. And they can, and they do. I died like three times. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say. I, like I, like the guy who pops out at the like there's like the mm-hmm. little zombie the guys come running, and I could get past them. But the guy came up with the machine gun, and I could not shoot him. Because <laughs> like your character is like he's or she is so weak that it's actually hard to aim the gun. At least is with the Xbox controller, and it's kind of going all around. And if you don't pull off like two good headshots they will kill you and you have to do it again. Yeah. And then you get there and you're basically dead and you get transported up and you're in a room with bodies and you kind of, uh, one of the other main characters, Anderson, played by Keith uh, David, who's, yes. Yeah. Um, talks to you over the radio and he's somehow there too. Mm -hmm. And you kind of stumble into this room and there's a final confrontation with the elusive man who has kind of been this, Who's revealed to be, like, the ultimate bad guy in this story, more or less. Yeah. Because he's kind of your boss in the second game, and you can't... He's kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And even in this game, he definitely has a lot of rationale behind him that's mm-hmm. very he easy does, to understand. He does some very evil stuff, but it's but it's evil stuff for the best of... For science! No, for yeah, humanity. <laughs> for humanity in, in the most twisted way possible. I mean, if you... It's, for a real life comparison, he's kind of a Hitler. Mm-hmm. I mean, not maybe not necessarily in in genocide, but he's definitely okay with testing on innocent people, capturing people, and doing experiments if he thinks it means in a hundred years humanity is going to be in a better place. I'm sorry, Colony, you have to die, but it's going to be for the better cause. You know, mm-hmm. it it is kind of twisted, but especially in that final moment, those final moments, there is a logic. Behind I kind of went, I don't know. You might be right. And your character even goes, oh, he was right. <laughs> In a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, so once you deal with this this final showdown, um, you literally turn the key on, on the the doomsday device that you were setting off. And Space you... Yeah. And you sit down and basically are about to die. Yeah. When when the radio pipes up and says it's not working. Nothing's happening. What's going on? What are you doing? And so, yeah, and so you stumble to towards the device and you don't know what to do and your character falls over. Just collapses. And you Looks think it's the very dead. Yeah. And ascends in a shaft of life or a shaft of light kind of like on a little platform. Just kind of lifts up. Yeah. And uh ends up with in this new place, yeah. which appears to be somewhere on the Citadel, because you're still seeing it seems, all the... Yeah, it stuff. seems to be a place that's supposed mm-hmm. to have always existed, and yeah. this place you've been at a thousand times in these yeah. past three games, which you've never seen it before. Yeah, and there's um, this kid... Ethereal who, ghost child. <laughs> right. Um, who Who is kind of the embodiment of this child that seems to have inspired Shepard before. You see this um, you see this child basically die mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the game and it's mm-hmm. a, it's an image that haunts Shepard throughout the third game. Yeah. There's a recurring nightmare that she has yeah. where she's chasing him and can't save him. Mm-hmm. Or he if you're playing a male Shepard. Sorry. Um, as a female. Yes, and I played as male, so we're gonna get that mixed up a lot. But anyhow, so you get through this and um basically this kid who who's, who I don't think is the kid. I think it's a projection based on Shepard's thoughts. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's not explicitly yeah. said, but, but that's the idea. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, but there's it's basically an AI who is greater than everything that is going on. Mm-hmm. So it's this artificial intelligence, or possibly a god figure, or something. It's not. Uh, it's never fully explained, but it's kind of the controlling force behind 
the Reaper like, invasion. Yeah. Yes. Um, and everything is set up um, to keep balance in the universe. Right. The Reapers, we find out, are like this being's way of controlling the chaos. Every 50,000 years... It's kind of an etch-a-sketch. It's yeah, like, exactly. it's like we'll just... shake up the universe, we're going to maintain life and order, but we have to get rid of the advanced... Civilizations. Civilizations, so, so that the, chaos the, does the, not The young civilizations will be saved, and they'll be able to progress forward, and in another 50,000 years, the, the lesser civilizations will become the greater ones, and I'll come back and wipe them out, and that's just the way we keep the order of everything. Mm-hmm. And you basically get three choices... Um, yeah. As as again, as you are basically still dying as your character. Yeah, your character is still there bleeding out. Mm-hmm. And this is you can, this is basically what the whole game is always. Mm-hmm. You almost always have three choices. You have mm-hmm. like the super good choice, Which the super is Paragon, bad choice. The renegade, or kind of the neutral you're not going either direction choice. Yeah. And basically you can uh opt to destroy all synthetic life forms. Which is including- any robot or anything that has mm-hmm. a synthetic like your character at this point was rebuilt at the beginning of mm-hmm. the second game. Mm-hmm. After So you are half synthetic at yes. this point. Um, you have people on your crew... Who are completely who, synthetic. Who are completely synthetic, who are fully realized artificial intelligence mm-hmm. life forms. And then you have the enti- you have an entire race of people who have come around and become your allies, despite... Being- possibly, despite your... Depending on your choices. Right. But for the choices that I made, you have the Geth, who were the mm-hmm. big bad guys in the first game, and a mm-hmm. major villain in the second game. Mm-hmm. And we're even a antagonist in the third game until basically until you broker a peace with them. You basically. broker a peace, and they are now your allies. <laughs> so you have that race. Then you have the this enemy Reaper race. And so by making this choice, all of that will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. They Both the good and the bad of it. Just any synthetic life gone. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it 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 maintains it removes this balance in the universe. And allows for the next cycle, you know, whoever's left of, of humanity and the other alien races to rebuild, not be wiped out. So the cycle um, continues? The cycle just restarts? Well, the the Reaper portion of the cycle doesn't. It, there is no more cycle. Okay. It's just, it's just things can advance in now the natural order without a cycle reboot. Okay. Um, but it's erased all synthetic life, and so humanity and... and you know, organics have the ability to rebuild synthetic life at this point, but no, none exists at this point. And there won't be reapers to come in and destroy all of that. Right. So that's option number one. Option number two is that you can go and control the reapers, and you can basically mm-hmm. become the mind of this attacking artificial yeah, intelligence. Your character will sacrifice his or herself. They will die, but mm-hmm. you become the hive mind, more or less, mm-hmm. of the reapers. So mm-hmm. hopefully that would mean you would then be able to control them only for good. Mm-hmm. You would go and clean up litter and yeah, but but there's no guarantee of that, and um, it would kill your character, and um, you know it's it's giving up your humanity and your um, yeah, it's yeah. It, it has its own issues, and then you have the third option, which is the what they call the synthetic or synthesis option, mm-hmm. which is a blending of the two options in which your character sacrifices themselves into the citadel shaft of light. Um, and basically, you you put your DNA into the thing, and the this this AI basically then spreads this new DNA that's created 
as a synthesis between the synthetic and the organic life, and it applies it to all life, whether it's synthetic or not, and thus creates a whole new breed of mm-hmm. creation. The, yeah, they kind of refer to it as, as the evolution of right. of all all things forms, both synthetic all things basically and, take a giant step organic uh, forward and more or less become completely related. Mm-hmm. You know, Assuming that you believe that that is a step forward, which is every, part of the yeah, and yeah. in that in that conclusion, when that's the conclusion I chose, and when you see them, everybody still seems to retain what you knew of them, but they also do seem to be have an added glowing green eye bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that and that's so those mm-hmm. are the, your three options, and then you have to make the choice um, mm-hmm. which three. Well, which of these three are you yeah. going to? So, so your shepherd basically any any way he does it sacrifices himself, herself, yes, <laughs> and does one of these things, um, basically which consumes him or her some some way. Yeah. Um, the war ends no matter which way you do that, mm-hmm. and then um, your character is basically dead. Um, for all intents and purposes, credits that's roll. that's over. Credits roll. Um, you get a little scene where the Normandy, which is your spaceship, yes, um, crash lands as the Mass Effect relays are all exploding. All of these options explode the Mass Effect relays, which is how you have space travel basically in this space game. Space travel outside of galaxies, that you can, right? Yeah. Um, so all of the you know all of the universes cut off from each other mm-hmm. no matter what choice you choose and your ship which has all of your crew and or friends on it two. at least two we or three of them two people yeah three <laughs> i've seen three but no more than that garris walked out on mine oh. as well yes um, garris did not walk out of mine yeah and anyhow so but Edie did not. Uh, okay, so maybe that's what maybe that's what they gave you for killing a wonderful human being. Um, I got somebody else too, though. I had three people. I had I Joker and Edie, and they kind of they kind of nuzzled. Yeah, I had Joker and I had Joker and maybe Liera or some. I, I don't remember. Anyhow, it doesn't really matter. But see, again, these are the different yeah. kinds of endings you can get. Yeah, yeah, and they they end up crash landing on what I kind of refer to as like an Eden-like pa- planet. It's kind mm-hmm. of very. Yeah, and that's kind of the end of the game. You don't know what's happened, why they've crash-landed there, um, if everybody survived, what's going on. Yeah. They crash-land there because they get hit by this blast. Yeah, and so credit, credits roll for 10 or 15 minutes, it seems like, because it's a huge credit list. Huge credit list. Um, and then there's a final scene where... Um, An old man... And ...is talking to a boy. Boy. Or girl, I suppose, boy. I don't know. Yeah, child with uh, child androgynous voice. Yes, sorry, child. Um, and um, and basically says, you know, look to the stars. There's a thousand or a million stories in the stars. Uh, and before he even says that, because he goes, that's basically the story. Some things mm-hmm. might have been lost or changed. I don't remember. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of have this kind of have this moment of like, did I just play this old man's memory, and some of this might not have happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> or? Did he just honestly forget? But yeah, he ch- the, then the little child is like, well, what's out there? And he's like, whatever you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, yeah. So that's kind of the ending. And it's really incredibly ambiguous. No matter what choice you choose yes. um, is kind of the point. Uh, it's ambiguous at, at best and... Um, Completely maddening at worst. <laughs> yes. Insulting and, to some. 
Yes, so people are very frustrated by this ending. So we wanted to get into that a little bit, which will then lead us into our concept of, like, can video games be art? What is art? Goodness, yes. This is going to be a long podcast, so that's why we're doing it as a special episode. Um, Commander Shepard, this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. (laughs) So, anyhow, so here's this ending. And I know, Scott, you're still processing. I'm processing, but this conversation has helped me. Okay, (laughs) so... I want to read real quick um, two paragraphs um, out of a review that I read of the ending. And this kind of, you said, kind of sums up. Yeah, there's there's more to this review that I agree with, but this is kind of the best part of it. We'll post a link to it on our yeah. website. Yeah. Um, so here, here's kind of how I sum up the ending for me. I think I'm kind of in the... I don't know if I'm... In, I, I have no idea the size of like the groups on this, like the people who are for the ending or the people who are against it. I know the people who are against it are really vocal. Yeah. Doesn't um, mean they're in the majority. Yeah. It's hard to say, uh, you know, I don't think anybody, but Bioware might have that knowledge, <laughs> numbers. but anyhow, uh, but this is kind of my impression via somebody else's review, which we'll link to. Um, But here we go. I felt that the ending was an intensely personal, moving, and breathtaking conclusion. Shepard was facing the end of her life, in my case, his life. In the background, as we were to make our choice, you could see the scale of the conflict. As you decide the fate of the galaxy, you were surrounded by context. Thousands of ships shattered, reapers floating menacingly in orbit. I felt the weight of this decision tremendously, but not simply in an intellectual way. I saw the devastation reflected on the events that led to that moment. All the chaos and all the sacrifice. The fact that I was separated from my companions only seemed to heighten the sense of responsibility. They weren't there in person, but I was thinking of them the whole time. The entire series, it seemed to me, had led to this moment. It didn't feel larger than life to me. It felt like all those personal stories and relationships, trials and sacrifices, were spent in order to purchase this choice. It was an incredibly moving, weighty moment for me. I can't imagine a more personal experience. We all die alone, as the saying goes, and as you have the option to tell a squad member earlier in their game... The lonely, the lonely, detached feeling I felt on the Crucible wasn't removed from personal, emotional considerations, as some have claimed. I felt exactly the opposite. So, to me, this moment is kind of the summation of the game, and I, I really feel it's a hugely beautiful ending that, that pulls all of your choices that you have made together into this moment where you have to weigh everything that you understand about the galaxy and about the different people you know and the different races you have met and the treaties you have worked out and uh, literally every piece that has gone into three games Mm -hmm. and you have to decide what is the best option for the galaxy um you've you've kind of moved from this place of yes you're a hero in this war but not much more to that to kind of that place of almost a, a i don't want to say a godlike power but it's it's kind of moved into that next realm mm-hmm. of epic choice making mm-hmm. you you've gone from making the easy conditional choices that you can see the results of easily to that ultimate kind of decision making that's going to decide the fates of literally billions of of people one way or the other and no matter how you choose, there's going to be people who are affected badly and goodly, and who... It's the most weighty choice of the whole game, and this process of making decisions throughout three games has brought you to this moment of making the most important decision of your life. So that's kind of how I view it. 
and I kind of I understand where you're coming from, and I kind of disagree for a couple of reasons. One is my character was a paragon, which is a which is the good basically model. I made a it couple. Sounds good. I made a, I made a couple <laughs> of selfish de- decisions along the way, and basically you can make these decisions in conversation. And sometimes in the game, these little icons will appear, which allows you to alter the course of the conversation by making a rash or you know prudent decision. So my character is a good person, and then I get to a point where I am, I am literally given two options to make a bad decision, and if I don't make a bad decision once, game over. Which is where, at the be- when you first encounter the elusive man, when you first uh, encounter the elusive man in his uh, in the chambers upstairs, um, he has Anderson, and he has- he pulls a gun on him, and if you don't decide to make a bad decision, mm-hmm. game over. Interestingly enough, I did not experience that in my game. What do you mean? Like the, the little icon didn't appear? Uh, I No, I never had to do that. I was able to talk him down completely. Wasn't able to do that. There came a point, like, I, I had, like, good options. Like, I, the, you, had, you had, like, little, Wait, you had, like, that little yeah. wheel, and mm-hmm. uh, the, there's, like, a wheel of conversation, basically, when you get to make a choice. And I got to be blue. I got to make the good choice two times, but then there came a third option, and both red and blue were darkened out. I could only make a "you have lost your mind" or "you have lost your mind." <laughs> uh, those were my only options, basically. And so I said that. So he pulls a gun on Anderson, and at that point, you are forced to be bad, which for me frustrated because I was I generally okay with shooting the elusive man. I would have anyway in, in that situation. But to me, that was the beginning of this kind of breakdown of the game where I was I was being forced to make a decision especially one that I would not have made. Like, even in that situation, I felt like my character would have maybe wounded the elusive man or would have done something else and not just gone, well, I got to kill him. And if you don't kill him, game over. Interesting. Because, so, like I said, yeah, for me, I never got presented with that option. Interesting. I, so there, so was a cho- there was a choice earlier on that changed entirely how that situation went, apparently. Interesting, yeah. So did elusive man die in yours? Yeah, he ended up killing himself. Okay, so I shot the elusive man, um, and so that so that was that was a little frustrating to me. And then you get presented with this new chapter of the story, and I know this this and this is why I think some people are also kind of frustrated with it is that this ending this this concept of this creator type maybe I don't know if the, he's supposed to be the creator, but he's definitely a godlike artificial intelligence who's in control of the universe has never been mentioned before in this game there's you know in this in this trilogy you've never been presented with a reality that's outside of your imagination you're just presented with a very um this is this is the decisions you make when you make a choice people live people die what do you want to do and now mike shepherd is now in a position of uh death death or death um and and the good option in this situation means the genocide of at least three different races or two races and my best friend Edie. Um, <laughs> and then, like, the bad choice, it doesn't seem bad either. It's like, every, at this point, I met, I felt like, once again, the game created a situation where they're presenting me not with a good, bad, or indifferent choice, but a gray, gray, or gray choice. And that was a little bit frustrating to me, that to get that far and to not be given a ultimately good choice or an ultimately bad I so that, so to me, I was like, well, they're clearly telling me to choose the middle ground, and so I ran down the middle, made that choice. Um, 
which led to my third frustrating thing. When my character is falling to her death, she thinks about Anderson, Liara, and somebody else. Doesn't think about <laughs> the people she has loved. Joker was in mine. Joker. Joker. Mine was like Joker, Liara, and Anderson. I'm like, why are these the last three people my character's thinking about? These are not the characters I'm thinking about as I leap to my death. I'm going Garrus, Miranda, Morden, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that I'm willing to sacrifice my life for. Anderson, not so much. Not Liara. She's okay. You know, it's like, so to me, it was kind of weird to include those, especially since those didn't seem to be based on any decisions I had made previously. My character, I don't feel like my character had made any effort to, you know, strike up a relationship with those people. Um, but then it ends, and you have you have this squad. By the end of the game, I don't know, maybe there's been 20 people you've been able to have on your team through the three games, and you're not given any kind of story resolution to any of those characters. The only For me, the only two people that I saw survived this whole catastrophe was Joker and Edie, um, which I was happy for because I adored them as characters, and I was happy they got to live happily ever after. But... Well, well, there's one part of me that respects the idea of this ultimate decision that you don't get to see the ramifications of. As a game player, I want to know if Garrus lived. I kind of need that. I need to know what happened to Miranda. And while it can be argued that this whole third game was one big conclusion to really the first two games, and so I should really, I know the end of Miranda's story. She got her sister back. I know the end of Morden's story. He cured the genophage. I know, you know, I know these things. But at the same time, there's these people who are alive out there that I want to know. As a gamer, I need to know that this decision saved lives. Mm-hmm. Or I, w- I want to know that Garrus fought and died by my side. It's, it's, like, it's like you have these two people by your side in that last moment, and then they disappear completely from the narrative. They're not even bodies that you walk past when you're wounded. And so to me, that's some of the frustration and the some of the... Uh, unresolved tension and feelings mm-hmm. that I have is that because, like you said, these were some of our best friends during these three games and I'm not given even a clue if they're alive. And I know my character Shepard wouldn't know that and is making a decision based on who knows who's even alive on Earth at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's fine for that, but as an epilogue I felt like it was really lacking. Yeah. See, for me, what I thought, what I liked about the ending is that I felt the ending of the game happened back on Earth, and I got to get the closure on all of the characters with um, kind of walking down the final corridor. They give you a lot of chance to really get closure with all of the characters. I think I mentioned that before. But you get um, a moment before the final battle on Earth where you get to go and talk to everybody. And then you get one moment kind of the calm in the middle of the storm um, after you've done a lot of fighting on Earth, where you basically get to walk through um, the, the, you know, the ruins and talk to everybody one more time and kind of do your final goodbyes to everybody and uh, know what they think of you and know you know, mm-hmm. know, know where you stand with everyone. And then and then at that point the rest of it is no longer about those characters, really. Some of them go into battle with you, but it's not about them at that point. It's about Shepard and finishing his or her story. And it's not so much about finishing those other characters. Because I, I think the other. That, but for me, those characters are kind of the avatars of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not about whether or not 
Garrus actually survived. I want to know through, you know, use him or use his race to tell me how his race feels about this new change. Like, I, 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 it brought up more questions than I felt like that it even answered in a lot of ways because it's like, okay, so I just created a new race, I think. What does that mean? I don't even know. And at this time, BioWare is going, we don't know if there's going to be a Mass Effect 4. Shepard's story's done. We know that, but... So it's like, what am I, is, was that epilogue a tease for the next in this franchise? Or if it's over, then it's really kind of disconcerting how little information you're given about the state of the universe after you make this decision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I mean I think those are kind of the two sides of it it's yeah. kind of the the whole side of like you weren't playing the universe you were playing Shepard and Shepard isn't going to know how the universe ends up necessarily or you were playing a story that's a little bigger than Shepard because and and you need to you need the full closure of it. I think those are really kind of the two concepts at play here. And the art of it moving into that kind of territory, and this is why this is on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, we finally got there. Forty minutes later, I whatever this is. I do think it's very in, the, the this concept though does fascinate me, especially as a as a Christian writer. This idea that um, there is a bigger story that you are not necessarily privy to. I think is kind of fascinating. And so there's a part of me that kind of respects the fact that Bioware kind of went there. Like, so you, you make all these decisions, you do all these things, and then there's this one final deus ex machina moment where God shows up and goes, okay, I know you thought that was important. Here's the deal. This is actually what's important over here. And I know not, they're not necessarily calling this kid God, but to me, there was a very striking parallel, and it kind of reminded me of the conclusion to Battlestar Galactica. It kind of reminded me of the conclusion to Lost, where you had invested, and you had you had decided what was important, and then the writers told you what was actually important. So there's a certain aspect of it that I really respect, while I also kind of get frustrated with it, because I do think it's fascinating, like I said, to kind of have this moment of going... Here's a bigger reveal. You're bigger than this, and this does not invalidate your life. This is this does not invalidate your story for these last you know six seasons of this television show. Or these last three games, these last five years of your life aren't invalidated. I'm just trying to take you somewhere else now. You got to make all those decisions. You saved a lot of people, and now you get to decide where the universe goes next. Yeah, it's, it's so there is I think something it, very cool about that. Yeah, I think it kind of harkens to that final scene with the stargazer who is played by Buzz Aldrin. Which I did uh, not those know. Those of you extra uh, yeah. symbolism for that. And with him saying, you know, look to the stars. There's a billion stories in the stars. And, you know, head out and explore. I mean, that's basically what he says. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost a challenge to the gamer at that point. Um, like this story has ended, what's but now it's time to be, yeah. What's your story going to be? What, you know, what can you do in the universe? And, you know, it, it kind of, I don't, to me, it filled me with kind of the sense of like, not only is the world my oyster kind of thing, or like, I need to be doing something mm-hmm. in this world, but like kind of the amazement of space travel and, and all of that. I mean, it, <laughs> it made me want to go work for NASA or something if, oh, if NASA was actually not news. <laughs> yeah, not kind of a gutted shell of what it once was. Yeah. But that's a separate discussion. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, that kind of brings us to this concept of, of can a video game be art? Because at this point, I think that's kind of what we're questioning with this ending is I think that the writers 
took this to a place that transcended just being a game about blowing stuff up. Right, because they really could have given you that ending. And I think a lot of gamers, that's what they were expecting. They were expecting a Magnificent Seven ending where you and your crew go down and every one of you gets killed in one horrific and heroic way and ultimately you destroy the bad guys and you either die and you're remembered honorably or you live or to fight another day you know mm-hmm. that's what i think a lot of people are expecting because honestly that's what 30 years of video games have given us mm-hmm. and and not just video games but i mean every source of media for the most part the mainstream is that mm-hmm. you get kind of this you know, the hero either lives or dies, and it's, you know, very rarely does stuff go into kind of a realm of asking questions at the end, which is basically what this did. place. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been some controversy about can video games be art? Roger Ebert says no. <laughs> yeah, Roger Ebert says no. He's, he's said, uh, he's written several articles over the last two or three years mm-hmm. um, explaining his position on that. And, um, yeah, it's you know he seems strangely against it, almost to the point of sometimes when you read his articles, he sounds like an old man who doesn't get it. No, no offense to him, but it's like he kind of seems like somebody who's railing against the system because he doesn't understand it. Some sometimes some of the words he uses, I go, "You're clearly not a gamer. You're clearly someone watching from the outside, going, mm-hmm. why are you jumping over the barrels, climbing up the ladders?'" Mm-hmm. At the same time, I agree with him that through my Let's see, I'm 30, so uh, I, I play, so 25 years of video game playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many pieces of art I can point to in the midst of 25 years of video games. Slim to none. Um, and honestly, this is probably one of the very first games that pushes me to that question. That, and this is... This is where I disagree with Ebert, because he says that nobody in our lifetime will ever see an artful video game, or a video game that is art. I agree that it doesn't exist yet, um, but I would say if there is an argument for it, it's Mass Effect 3. Or if you, and, if you want to extend it to the whole trilogy, yes, but specific... And I, it, you have to say the trilogy, because I think mm-hmm. the, the response, the emotional response I had was due to playing the, all three games, but it came specifically the most from the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I think one of the problems people have is... Well, one problem people have is just defining what art is. Art is so incredibly subjective that the definition itself is objective. Um, and so you take a subjective concept and try to apply it to a a media that's clearly objective <laughs> you know it's like well how can these two things relate you know there was there's this argument's been going on for years and years now and i know there's been people who go oh call of duty modern warfare 2 is art it you have a visceral response to that game um and i know other people have said games like limbo and braid and other games like that are art um and to me one question i kind of wonder ask everybody is why do we care and I kind of had that question, and Ebert kind of even brings that up in his latest article. Why Why do we need that badge of honor? Is it a badge mm-hmm. of honor? You know, why do we care if something is or isn't art? Yeah, does it have to qualify officially, or can we just enjoy it for what it is? Right. Um, because, I mean, no one's going to argue a lot of art goes into these games. Uh, Kelly and I were having the discussion. I kind of said, I know, personally, I can be a bit snobby about films. And I'll mm-hmm. say, this is a film, and that's a movie. 
you know, mm-hmm. I was I would go in a, and she brought up uh, she goes, well, what about Transformers? I go, Transformers is not art. That is a movie. And she goes, well, what about Optimus Prime? I go, Optimus Prime is art. <laughs> if you presented to me that character, like, look what I designed. I go, that is amazing. And this character existing in front of me, it blows my mind, expands my horizons to believe in life in the stars. You put him in a Michael Bay movie, the movie becomes a movie. It's mm-hmm. not itself art. In so my part opinion. Of, yeah, so part of it is, is kind of the context of it. I mean, you can get... You know, amazing drawings and and uh, concept pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I'm sure if you were to look at concept pieces from, mm-hmm. say, Transformers, mm-hmm. um, there would be drawings in there that are some of the most beautiful Things concept art. Wall. Yeah, and and you would call them art mm-hmm. um, from that standpoint. But at the same time, when that thing is taken. And processed by people that we call artists, visual artists of some sort, you know, whether they're computer animators or whatever, you know, uh, we consider their job in the arts and they, you know, perform artistic duties as we define them as a thing. You know, you get to the end of this and it's all edited together and composited together and put together. And it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. As, as you and I define it. Mm-hmm. Right. However... That, I think that's part of the problem, too, is the word art is used for so many things. Yes. It's, like it's such... Not just as a... Not, not even as a loose definition, but there are so many things that can be and are art. You can... There's art in comic books. Is, are comic books art? Well, no, but we call that page art. And so we call, you know, all these different things. You know, there's these artists, but what they create is that actually art. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I don't know that we have the answer to this. Um, I wish that we did, because I somehow feel we could turn it into a lot of money, and I think that would be great. Um, But aside from that, um, you know, I think this is a really interesting discussion, and and I hope that... I think it's an important discussion, because maybe at the end of the day, it's not about defining what particular pieces are or are not art, because I think that's going to be an individual thing. Mm But to discuss whether video games can be art, which I think can potentially drive it as either a business or an art form or just specific projects or however you want to look at it, forward if people are really truly discussing this concept Mm -hmm. and wanting to push the medium forward Mm -hmm. somehow. Because whether it's an art or not, it can become something more than it is today. We've seen that over and over with it. It has reinvented itself, and at times it, is, it has maybe seemed stale or stagnant or whatever, but there has always been new things that breathe life into various genres Absolutely. or whatever in, inside the medium. I, I can agree that there's not a lot of art in video games, or but to say that video games will never aspire or will never become mm-hmm. art is just ludicrous and short-sighted. Um, and my stance on this, I would, I would probably say Mass Effect is art because of the emotional response it gave me. That being said, for some people, it might not. But mm-hmm. see, the difference to me between this and I'll pick on Call of Duty a little bit is that Call of Duty, they, they use the word story in the loosest sense of the word. It's, they have cutscenes that piece together sequences that have, like, the, the movies have nothing to do with the actual gameplay. It's mm-hmm. like you have this gameplay, which is a first-person shooter. You're carrying a machine gun, and you're gunning down. Um, you're committing genocide, basically, on a race of people that we are fighting with today, which is awkward. But um, you have that going on, and then that that stops. And then they show you a movie that makes you feel 
happy and jingoistic and then you start shooting people again to me that's not art the closest to art that could be is propaganda but there to me but it doesn't leave you with anything all it does is make you want to shoot more things um this on the other hand there's you have a, you'll be playing the game and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a cutscene and then all of a sudden you're back in, and even in the cutscene you're deciding what's going on there's mm-hmm. there's very few moments where you actually feel comfortable in putting the controller down yeah you know it's um <laughs> yeah it's you know i would i would liken my reaction to this game to mass effect as my reaction was to watching lost mm-hmm. um the entire time or or a show like that where at the end of it it turned out to be entirely about these characters journey and very little about the actual island <laughs> island or the story that was happening it was it was truly about these characters yeah. and and, I, and I, I, I was one of there the were characters i liked lost. and i've defended lost and its ending mm-hmm. ever since the night it ended i like mm-hmm. the way lost ended because of these things that we're talking about it's something that it continues mm-hmm. to inspire conversation where i think if they put a a cap on that bottle and we're like see this is what everything was Nobody, it, we would move on and no one would care. It's the same, yeah. same way for, as the conclusion of Battlestar Galactica. It left you with questions that made you curious about life outside of mm-hmm. the show, but wanting to revisit the show. Same with uh, The Sopranos and other some of these shows mm-hmm. that have these great endings that leave you disconcerted and unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely put this ending in that, and I would put the game in that same vein of storytelling, where it's these characters that you become attached to maybe less than the storylines that Mm -hmm. are being told. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about these relationships that these characters have with each other and with you as the viewer, or in the case of the game, the player. Right. And I think to me, this game has done that. This game. So incredibly successful. This does what I've always been told art is supposed to do to you, which is Mm -hmm. make you think, make, move you emotionally, involve your senses, inspire, inspire you. And you know, this game did for me what Boardwalk Empire did to Kelly. Kelly still talks about that and still asks about character's motivation. And is that right that she's behaving that way? And we still talk about it, even though we're not watching the show. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've been doing that for the past week with Mass Effect 3, and I think I'm going to continue doing it. I'm already looking forward to playing it a second time so I can experiment with my decision-making skills. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that's an incredible thing. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I enjoy the action part of the game, but the part that I really play for are the character interactions. I really want to see what happens and how far I can push certain characters' stories and how far they can go. And that fascinates me because it also turns me around. And as I go to work tomorrow, I would like to do the same with my friends and co-workers and kind of go, hey, let's encourage these people. Let's mm-hmm. do good here. Uh, it's not the genophage, but, you know, it's retail. It's close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, so, taking this concept of art mm-hmm. and video games, um, you know, a lot of movies are considered art. Yes. But flipping around this concept of video games can't be art. So far, I would also say that there have been very few, if any, video game movie adaptations mm-hmm. um, that are art as well. I would say, or none even, of them are, or even good. Personally, I would really. say none of them are art. And yeah. good is going to be very subjective. Paulo on Facebook 
says that uh, the Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil, is probably the best. And weirdly enough, I'm probably going to agree with yeah. that. And because, and honestly, and looking at the numbers, the Resident Evil franchise is the most successful of the video game movies. Um, but we're, they're not in proud company. <laughs> you know, it's like no. they're probably the closest to being also a financial success would be the Tomb Raider movies and maybe Prince of Persia. Um, but then you have like you have you have movies like the Mario Brothers movie, which is atrocious, and you have the Mortal Kombat movies with some which some people like, mm-hmm. which is also really kind yeah. of unwatchable. And, and the, <laughs> the the U Bowl canon oh, of I forgot about those U Bowl Dungeon Siege and <laughs> Dungeon Siege Blood Rain. And, oh, there's more, stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Alone in the Dark, um, and so. The question kind of for me that I like to ask is, you know, why haven't video game movies gotten to the next level? You know, why haven't they, um, what is the holdup? What, you know, is it, is it that lack of subjectivity to most video games? Do you have a, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, for me, I really feel like it all boils down to story is kind of the, the big thing. I think most video games don't really have a story arc to them. Most games present you with challenges to overcome, mm-hmm. and there may be some kind of story structure that, that tells you why you're doing those things. Um, but because of the way a game is structured, you you are often the character, as opposed to a character being the character. Okay. And because of that the character arc has to happen in, in you, and most games are not really interested in changing you. No. They're interested in getting you from point A to point B through an interesting set of puzzles or, you know, whether that's shooting things or jumping on things or whatever it well, is. how many it's, games it's actually present a character who changes? I mean, that's yeah. that's the, the bread and butter of a story. That's the foundation of a good story is a person who's different after having spent 90 minutes with them than when you first met them. Mm-hmm. Most games aren't that way. When you look at the Tomb Raider franchise, the closest thing to change is like, oh, I didn't realize this had connections to the CIA. I have to go shoot yeah. CIA people now. You know, yeah. that's the closest thing. Most games, and I would be astounded and to the point of disbelief if um, video games aren't made in this way, which is, uh, here's a cool level. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to do a level where people climb up things. And let's well, do I a level you... where this happens. And then, and then you take I a think... story and kind of go, well, we'll set that, that scene in the Amazon and that scene on a boat and we'll connect it with this. Yeah. Well, I think you look at something like uh, the doom movie where there was like really, they tried to recreate the, the shooting aspects of the game. There there was like that, there was like a one minute, uh, maybe it's like a 90 second sequence near the end of the movie where it goes into first person shooter mode. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, it's kind of interesting, but at the same time, it kind of misses the entire point of making a movie rather than a right. video game. And, then it, um, and it puts you in that, the worst place in the world, which is watching someone play a video game. <laughs> yeah. It, um, and so, to me, that's kind of the, the big problem, the, the big first problem. The second problem is that there are games that have fantastic stories. Um, I think you can look at Mass Effect and see this amazing world that has been created and this amazing story. Um that just took us 150 hours or whatever to get through. Right. And then we need to take that and put it into a 90-minute film. Go. I think, I think that is a major issue mm-hmm. in general. Most games, to get through them, 
it, it, one of two things happens. It's either you literally have 150 hours of gameplay mm-hmm. that you would then have to condense into a 90-minute movie, mm-hmm. or you have a story that has been stretched out by 15 hours of gameplay, and the storyline is actually like a 15-minute storyline. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the two things that happen. There's very few games that have a story level that matches what a movie should be. Right. Um, and so, and then you have, you do, and that's the remarkable thing, again, going back to Mass Effect, mm-hmm. is that the levels actually are the story, are mm-hmm. part of the story. Like, you have these moments where you stop fighting to talk, mm-hmm. but it, your character has literally just come down that hall having shot those people, and now they're dealing with this, and everything builds on each other, and so it's not like this stop and start situation. Mm-hmm. So adapting Mass Effect yeah. could be very challenging yeah. to somebody. Uh, to me, I mean, to me, if you wanted to do a literal adaptation of Mass Effect, it would have to be a TV show where every like mission basically is a new episode. And you can do like, and in this episode, we go to try to cure the genophage or whatever. You just blew my mind. I would watch that the crap out of that show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're doing it as a movie... This goes back to our discussion. We did a podcast, which we will link to in our show notes again, uh, a few, a couple months back, about the adaptation process. Yes. And I think this is the, the big key for this, is that if you're going to take a video game and make a movie from it, first, you need to choose a franchise that actually has a story worth telling. I don't think there's been much of that done. I think successful franchises have been picked to do things with, and successful is kind of a loose term, but I think well, you know, when, successful when you movies that were, have been made. Look at Tomb Raider. It's been a very <laughs> successful video game franchise, so clearly the studio was like, let's make a movie about that. Yeah. People like this girl. Mm-hmm. But the, the trick is that I don't know that it's as much about liking Lara Croft as it is about liking the game. Puzzle solving. Yeah. The puzzle solving yeah. and the shooting. and the there's a, there's a distinct difference she doesn't hurt it any. Like, I think people do like her, mm-hmm. but I don't think people are specifically playing those games for those characters. I think you could have put Indiana Jones into those games, and people would have probably responded to those just as well. I know they made Indiana Jones games that were never as good as the Tomb Raider games, and so people responded to Tomb Raider better. Mm-hmm. But I think if they had just started out as Indiana Jones, that would have received a much better reception than Lara Croft. Yeah. Um, aside from that, you know, I think you do need to pick something that is a rich story. So if you did pick something like a Mass Effect to make a movie out of, uh, on the one hand, it's a blockbuster franchise for video games, which means it's going to be much higher level of entry monetarily for a studio to right. get into. But it's a better set of stories than some of the lower tier games that have also been successful. Um, but you're going to have to adapt like crazy to make it work. You could tell Shepard's story, but trying to adapt it into 90 minutes, it would almost be better to take a minor character and tell an interesting story in the universe or tell the story of this war, but don't necessarily tell Shepard's story. That's what I was about to say. I think the the adaptation process is completely lost on a lot of people. Because I think Mm -hmm. you could tell, like you take the first games story Mm -hmm. you can make a very compelling two-hour movie out of that the broad strokes of that story and go this is the movie we made is this Mm -hmm. the game you played not quite but you'll recognize Mm -hmm. some of these people we've tried to put Mm -hmm. anderson in here it's it's a basic yeah it's this basic thing of trying to stop 
this rogue specter right. who is trying to bring war to the game. Are you going to see the uh, the Rachni? No, not ro- not probably. But yeah. we're going to give you a great blockbuster movie. And I think that's essentially what you would have to do. And I think people are mm-hmm. kind of scared of that, which is silly to me, considering mm-hmm. we have a very amazing, awesome, successful franchise based on a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, it's like that, and to me, that is almost the approach I would love to see them take. You take a game on the different end of the spectrum. Bioshock, I think, could be a very mm-hmm. fascinating film if you approach it in the way they approach the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, you really don't have a character in Bioshock. Mm-hmm. You, you are a nameless person. You wash up on a shore, you go into a lighthouse, and adventure ensues. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the world to- is so interesting that I think you could do two things with that. You could either tell the story that started this this underwater world, mm-hmm. which I think would be a very fascinating story. It could be this big tragedy. Or you could tell basically the story that is the main character, but you would have mm-hmm. to create a main character to go through this. And you'd have to create somebody that isn't the player. And just people would have to accept the fact that I am not mm-hmm. in control of this guy. I never met this guy because I was that guy going through that. That's not the decisions I made but this is clearly the decisions he's making and how he's experiencing Rapture. Um, um, yeah, or then you also have a book, or a book, a, a game like, uh, say, Grim Fandango, mm-hmm. which is one of my personal favorites. Um, you know, this game is basically an interactive movie for all with a few puzzles thrown in, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you know, maybe a choose-your-own-adventure book with, you know, told visually, kind of. Mm-hmm. You could adapt this game telling the same story which is a fantastic story in its own right, mm-hmm. you could adapt that into a beautiful two-hour movie because it's already structured as a storytelling device. Mm-hmm. That game exists to tell a story rather than... And, and to challenge you with a few puzzles. You can kind of strip the puzzles out and make it more about this character's journey. Mm-hmm. And I think you could make a fantastic movie out of that. Um, you know, Or you could have something like a uh, Psychonauts. Mm. Which um, is just, it's a fun world, Mm -hmm. and you have an interesting main character, and I think there's a really interesting concept behind it. You might not tell the same story of going into the mind of all these people at summer camp, or at least not in the same way that it's done, but you could tell a really interesting story about going into these wacky people's minds as a psychonaut spy kind of character. And, you know, I think there's some really interesting elements to that. There is a very careful line that they have to walk which is appealing to this audience who's already played this game who already loves this game we want to give you a movie of this because you love Mm -hmm. it but we can't make a movie just for you we have to make a movie for everybody else who has never heard of this franchise Mm -hmm. and so i would almost recommend some a slightly smaller you know if you start Mm -hmm. with a smaller game or a lesser known game or one who doesn't feature a a major character like try to making a halo game i a halo movie i think is a mistake unless you well, unless you tell a spartan story and not master mm-hmm. chief story because yeah. master chief to me is like the whole point is that the game is based on this enigmatic character whose face you never see that's a disaster yeah. for a movie i think you yeah know. exactly but that so to me i think it can be out there but i think people gaming companies who have these audience members who want mm-hmm. to see these and writers have to be willing to embrace adaptation and just outright creation. When you look at the Pirates of the Caribbean, especially that first movie, you can see moments from the roller coaster ride. But that mm-hmm. is not why you're there at all. 
You're there mm-hmm. because this is a fan- there's like these four fantastic characters that you're following on this high seas adventure. So, you know, I would say go that route and then let the gaming companies say, hey, that movie's coming out. You can play the same adventure. Here are the mm-hmm. games. And like send people back to the games, but don't fret over the fact that we're not presenting to you a shop, a shop, a, a one to one. Yeah, you know, it's it. Ultimately, at the end of it all, has to be about the storytelling and not about recreating a game in movie form. Yeah, those two things have to be separate from each other, and I, I think that's where most everything has failed. Yeah, up to this point, yeah, to a, you, to a large extent. You look at the Tomb Raider movies, and clearly the the notes they got were hot girl in short shorts, you know, with guns go. And it's like mm-hmm. the, the Laura Croft character can be a fascinating character, but why you don't have to be so overtly sexual or sexy with this character mm-hmm. because it comes off as forced and unbelievable. But you know, well, what you can do is put her make an Indiana Jones movie with a female protagonist named Laura Croft, and it mm-hmm. sold. I am there. You know, you don't have yeah. to have like oh, and in the game there are these robot statues we should have robot statues too yeah well and that's exactly what happened in it is it turned into not that the indiana jones movies are not action movies because they absolutely are mm. but the action is because of the story rather than being a action movie being an action movie whereas in the Lara croft movies you kind of get exactly you get like this thing and suddenly it's like oh and we do need this stuff where she's running from platform to platform. Right. And, we haven't blown anything you know, up in a while. Can we get some fewer yeah, clothes? Can we, can, can, we get, can we get those giant robots and stuff? Because this has to be like a level in a video game. Yeah. Because that's what we're referencing here. And at the end of the day, as long as she's going into a tomb, she doesn't have to pull her gun once to actually be the same character. Right. I, I, um, I, you know, create those gunfights. Do all of that. But... Do it in a way, like, you look at Indiana Jones. Again, if you're making Laura Croft, I would say watch that trilogy, um, because mm-hmm. that's a great way to introduce action and motivate characters in a way that's fun and interesting. And, you know, men still look up to Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, you know, and he's not, you know, constantly romancing people or dressing scandalously. It's... <laughs> it, I don't know, that hat. It's so... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting old, and I get frustrated by the way that we females are constantly so over-sexualized as heroes in, in comic books and movies and media in general. Even in, it, it even happens a little bit in Mass Effect where you have these characters who are like, oh, she's a girl. Let's cut that shirt down a little bit lower. And you're like, does mm-hmm. it have to? Because I already love her. She doesn't actually have to, you know, be actively trying to turn me on. Um, she can just be, and I'll find her fascinating and rooting and want to save her life. Mm-hmm. No, another exactly. conversation for another podcast yeah that's uh that that'll be coming up later <laughs> but um yeah it's just uh i think i think this concept of making a good video game movie on the one hand it seems like a no-brainer uh if you but on the other hand obviously it takes more than what we're saying to do it because otherwise i think there have been some people who are not idiots who have gotten into this arena one person and have, who's not an idiot made a fantastic short film based on the portal games have you seen that uh, it's on youtube or maybe on vimeo um they basically made i think it's like seven minutes long it'll be on this podcast page but it's called portal no escape and they took the concept of the game portal and made a fantastic seven minute sh- uh film out of it um to the, i mean it's so good that it's you just look at it. This is this would be the easiest two-hour movie to make, um, mm-hmm. because they embrace the concept of the game. They embrace the part of the game that everybody loved, 
but then they give it a story they give it a character because again and when you play the portal games you don't have a mm-hmm. character there is no dialogue from your character people talk to her but mm-hmm. it's only through some trickery that you can even figure out that you're playing as a girl yeah um, and so it's but it's it's fascinating and like, to me that is exactly the right approach to take is like mm-hmm. here's here's a portal is almost a blank slate of a game where you could come in and go it has this one amazing device now make a movie out of it mm-hmm. or you know or something like uh, uh fallout mm-hmm. i think oh, is yeah. a is a you know very fertile ground which is funny because it's about a post-nuclear world. Oh, fertile ground Yes, but I mean, just that world, there's been so many adventures in it at this point that you don't have to remake any of those games. You can just tell a really interesting story mm-hmm. that kind of utilizes some of the groups and people and stuff in the Fallout world. Um, and hopefully it's not the place that has the atomic bomb in it. <laughs> and it right, exactly. And the movie ends with someone showing up and detonating mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but I mean, we know those movies can work because we have Mad Max, which is basically... Basically, that movie it just never references Fallout. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's I think it's I think it's doable, and I, I look forward to the day when I can see a trailer for a video game movie. Um, not because it's a video game movie, and I'm like, oh look, they made a video game movie, but because it actually looks like a really yeah, you, good you see, you go, movie. Oh hey, what's that going to be? Hey, I played that. I recognize mm-hmm. the Citadel. Mm-hmm. Just like happens with books today, I look forward to that day yeah. when that can happen. Well, the, we haven't gotten there yet, but I think we can. Yeah, and it just—it's going to take a little bit of ingenuity, and I think video game makers are mercifully making it easier because when you look at something like Mass Effect, it is so stinking cinematic. Like there's sequences in this that just take your breath away. You just go, "Holy cow! Look what is happening to, uh, to me now!" And you're just sitting back and watching these amazing things. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I would pity anybody who would have to try to make a Mario Brothers movie. And you can mm-hmm. look at the simplicity of that game. There is no story there. There's nothing. You would have to start from the ground up, and at that point, why bother? Or you could just reference the TV show, which was quality right. writing. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, Wait. I think you could make a children's cartoon out of it, which they did, mm-hmm. which wasn't terrible. But, you know, it's like, you know, some of these things were not meant to be just yet. But I think we are getting into a place where it could... Mm-hmm. It really kind of should happen. I, you know, I think we're on the verge of it happening. Um, someday, you know, I think something like a Prince of Persia mm-hmm. almost got there. Yeah. I think it's. I, I wish it that that movie had reasons, been. The, the interesting thing to me is like it didn't actually. To me, it didn't fail because it was trying to be the video game. It just didn't quite work as a movie. Yeah, exactly. Which is um, a better place to be than say a Ubel film. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it it failed for other reasons other than the video game aspects. So we're we're moving in the right direction. I, I think we can get there if Hollywood can get that correct magic, you know, grouping of of the right people together and mm-hmm. the right script together and the right minds together that can make it happen correctly. And you know, I think that's a with any movie, that's always a, a special brew that isn't guaranteed to work. Correct. But I think I think we're I think we're on the way. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, so there you go. That's our oh almost an hour and a half long extra special podcast on video games. Um, I have a feeling you have opinions on everything we've said. So please yeah. share it with us. Find us at moviesyoushouldlove.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash movies you should um or on twitter at movies you should 
yeah those yeah. are those are the main places <laughs> you can find us and uh you know if if there's a lot of response to this if, if people really want to talk video games we'll we'll talk more video games we talk video stuff. games anyway might as well record it exactly so um let us know if you're interested let us know uh you know what you liked that we said if you know if obviously I was right about my thoughts on the ending of Mass Effect Three, or um, how wrong you know. he is, no. Yeah. At this point, I'm not really able to say if it's good or bad. I'm, I, I should be absolutely clear about that. I there was things about it I really liked. There's things about it that frustrated me. There's at least one thing I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And in a week, I might be in a completely different place. Mm-hmm. My, I will tell you, my absolutely favorite thing about it is that this reaction is happening to it (laughs) because it means no matter what happened whether you're for it or against it you're having to discuss it and to process it and ask questions and I think whether you agree with the actual implementation I think that alone is a success of this ending in a roundabout way yeah yeah so anyhow on that note uh, thanks for listening again check us out at moviesyoushouldlove.com join in the conversation there uh, on twitter at moviesyoushould or on facebook uh, facebook.com slash moviesyoushould and we look forward to talking with you again check it out You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 